welcome to the Women's and Girls Coach Development Podcast. It's my pleasure to have with me today Melissa Phillips um, of London City Lionesses. Welcome. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. It's, I'm really pleased to have you here. First question, um, is it Mel or is it Melissa? Uh, I think it's Mel for the most part around here. That's uh, how uh, everyone calls me. I think everyone loves a good nickname on this side of the pond, so we'll go with Mel. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so I'm really pleased that you come on today. I mean, it's great to have, have a coach that's had so much experience in, in the States and has now come across, as you say, the pond and, and coaching for us in the, in the Women's Championship at London City. Um, before we get into some real specifics about the, the coaching within America and then transitioning across here, it'd be really good just to hear a little bit about you, first of all, and your journey in coaching and how you got into it. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, played in the collegiate system out in the States and had, my head coach was a woman named Nicole Van Dyke, who I've then actually coached with over the years. Um, and when she recruited me, she her famous line to me was, you know, I can either get you into the professional game or get you into coaching. And I was like, sign me up, done deal, because those were both of my goals at a young age to either you know, continue playing professionally uh, after my collegiate career or get into coaching. So uh, played for her um, and then immediately following my collegiate experience, I had bounced around to a couple uh, NWSL camps, actually one with Emma Hayes and Denise Reddy uh, in Chicago, went in for a few days with them and then out to the Boston Breakers. Um, and then ultimately it didn't pan out for me. So I decided I wanted to get into coaching straight away. So I had started coaching as an assistant. Um, well, even before that, I was I was coaching youth teams um, and high school teams while I was playing collegiately and then jumped on board with a division one program called Cal State Bakersfield, where I had coached with Nicole for a few years uh, and then took over as a very young head coach. I was 23 at the time, um, learned a lot, had to grow up really quick. Um, and spent a few years there before joining University of San Francisco as an assistant coach and then ultimately went on to University of Pennsylvania where myself and Nicole rejoined our coaching journey together uh, for the last five years before heading across to London City. Um, won a championship there in 2018 and had a really great five years where we learned a lot about ourselves but ultimately were able to execute a vision of, of culture um, that got us to our championship and then uh, have both since parted ways. Obviously, I came here to London City uh, yeah. and found a club, really, I think, that fit me from a visions and value, uh, vision, values, and ambition standpoint. Wow. 23. So th that's, you know, in terms of from a coaching age in terms of the level that you were coaching at that that's quite a young age and you know some of the names that you mentioned there in Nicole and Emma you've obviously had some really good role models mm. to to look up to and, and 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 think about your own sort of profile and style of coaching what was there anything what would you say probably more Nicole than Emma that you've taken from them as as a coach yeah from Nicole um she is by far one of the most driven people um, I've ever worked with. And she is so meticulous with every detail. She turns over every stone. She thinks of every angle. She's always brainstorming, predicting um, uh, possible outcomes, possible problems, possible speed bumps, like always thinking about it. So she really 
got me to prepare in a, a way that values professionalism um, and just always be as prepared as I could possibly be. Always ask myself, um, where can I get better? What can I do more? Um, and how can I challenge myself outside of my comfort zone? And those were things that when I, I was constantly uncomfortable working for her. And that was one of the worst and best parts about working for her is that she um, never allowed me to be content. Um, and she was never content with her own abilities. It was always, what's the next challenge? What's the next step? Um, so it was a lot of fun. I think that really speaks to anybody that's a competitor. Um, I think that's where you have the most fun with it when you really challenge yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a great point, that point about being uncomfortable, isn't it? It's too easy at times to, to get to a point and then sit in the comfort zone and you always need people around you that are, that are going to challenge you, challenge you in terms of the thought process. And I think that's something that definitely from a playing perspective, that's what, what players like. They don't like to sit in the comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So how what would you say then? Because you know, I had the pleasure of working with with a few American basketball coaches when I was director sport of sport of boys school here, and sort of their sort of approach to practice and and the way that they presented at times was very different to what you'd call a traditional English coach. Um, so, so what is it about the American environment that's different to to here at the moment? Is it is it that different in your from your perspective? Yeah, I do think it is actually. Um, I thought a lot about this and talked with people here and there about it. it. Just in terms, I think that the buzzwords that you hear are like, okay, the U.S. is all about physical mentality, you know, physicality and mentality, and that the the English culture is more about tactics. And I and I do think that that is true in large part. Um, that you know, I think when you work with players here it is different they live and breathe and study the game and tactical concepts they can latch on to really quickly um whereas in this in the states in the u.s game it is about um developing culture and grit and resilience and being that much fitter than the next team and having that much closer of a bond as a group. And so I do think they are uniquely different in, in those ways. Um, and you get bits and pieces of it, of course, on both sides, but I think the focus is much more about kind of the, the team and the, and the hoorah almost in the States. And here it's about how you set up for each game and, and what that looks like. And so I think for me as a coach, I've really adapted to that and thinking more specifically and more critically about the finer details of each opponent. Like we've always done a lot of preparative work on opposition and scouting and, and how we're preparing. But I think in the U S it's so much more about being sure of your own identity. Whereas mm-hmm. here it's like, does your identity fit the scenario for, on that day? Um, yeah. And so I think it's kind of finding a balance between the two. Yeah. I, I think we'll, we'll come back to that point at, at some point in a little while, but the word that sort of interests me a little bit, partly because I'm reading the book Grit at the moment, and, and it's something that sort of really resonates with me in terms of that idea that you can achieve anything if you put your mind to it and you can really sort of get under the skin of people to, to build this inner culture. Mm-hmm. How how would you say then, if, if you were looking at a typical week back in, in America, how how do those sort of things sort of evolve during your, your week in terms of trying to demonstrate that culture and, and grip within a football environment or soccer yeah. environment, should I call it? 
Um, so Grit by Angela Duckworth, is that the book you're reading? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So Duckworth, she's actually a professor at Penn where I coached. Um, oh, really? and, and the likes of uh, Adam Grant and others are also there who, um, and Karen Reykjavik, who's a positive psychologist. Well, we actually had a lot of access within the Penn athletic department in our soccer program that gave us to le- Wharton leadership and, and positive psychology. So we got to work with these people and it's unbelievable. And I really do think that that's what shaped a lot of how we built our culture. So I think, I think there is a, a big focus around this word culture every day. Um, but for me, culture is what you do every single day that actually then defines and translates into your team having this identity piece. So uh, that is something that I've tried to layer in um, with the team at London City. And I think I've even had feedback from players that say, oh, you know, I've never focused this much on me as a person um, as I have me as a footballer. Like I've never had conversations with a coach. It's about becoming a better person and not just becoming a better player. We have those conversations as well. But for me, I think it's always people are greater than the player um, and getting the best out of the person is, is something that has aligned with London city's vision. So for, from a day to day basis, it's something that we talk about in every single team meeting. So at, to start, you know, we, we've got our little zoom team meeting sessions at the moment with all the COVID restrictions, but you know, we talk about um, even yesterday, we spent an hour um, ahead of our training, ahead of our recovery session, talking about mindfulness um, and breath work and visualization and how to navigate emotion and be in control of body and mind and what that looks like from multiple scenarios. So whether you're a player who's coming off an injury or just injured, a player who's, um, you know, starting playing well, starting not playing well, not playing at all, all the different scenarios, players who are um, going through various other life situations that have an effect on the football as well. It's just being able to navigate, okay, what's my trigger? Do I know myself? And then how can I gain control and respond to get the most of my, out of myself on the football pitch ultimately and get most out of myself as a teammate? And so that's just one example, but I would say three to four days out of seven, a portion of our team meeting focuses on mentality um, our identity, building belief in each other, communication, positive psychology, and it's just always laced into our daily language. So the players always have either a tool, a reference point, or something that um, can help them have success on the field. But I really do feel it's an everyday thing. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I suppose the only difference of where you are at the moment with London City is that at Penn, you potentially have a four-year project with, with those players and starting coming in their first year and you can build them being um, seniors. Whereas at the moment, obviously, you've been in as head coach for a very short period of time. You may not get that full amount of time with those players to really build that culture and mindset. Mm-hmm. Is that something that's sort of crossed your mind of how you can maybe fast-track some of this work that you may be spent with players doing for four years back in the States? Yeah, it's definitely crossed my mind and I... I've been conscious not to overwhelm them with information because I think it's kind of like throwing spaghetti on the ceiling and seeing what sticks like that. We've had a couple points that we've hit throughout this season that I really want to stick. And that way, you know, I'm aware it could be a year to year kind of contract for players or what our team looks like this year is very different than next year. And that is the unique difference, as you just mentioned to the college game. And so 
I think whatever we've done this year is to build sort of a team feel um, and then start to really focus on who are the leaders within the group and how can we elevate those leaders um, and empower them to then moving into next year that we have more voices talking about the same topics and more voices holding others accountable, holding themselves accountable and a little bit of, um, I use the word identity quite a bit, but identity in what we're trying to build. And so that that does then translate and layer on to next year as well. And in a way, it's a great fit then, isn't it? You and London City being such a a young club in themselves that you can evolve together over the next couple of years, hopefully, and, and really build that whole club identity in, in the championship and then potentially push for for Super League status. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that was one of the things that drew me to London City is there was a an FC Business article on Diane a, a year and a half ago, um, right around Christmas time. And I read it, actually, I was in England for the holidays and had on my way back to the States before we'd moved here and had read it. And it was all about how, you know, Diane's mission is to develop people holistically, but just really focusing on having the right people in place that can help get 1% gains out of these, these players and people that we work with. And that resident, that 1% gain, I mean, resonated with me so much of everything that we did at Penn to build our culture and win a championship and something that really aligned with what I wanted to do here. So I'm excited about building the vision of the club over the next few years. Brilliant. Yeah. And I think you're well on the way to that already with the sort of the results and the way that things are, are moving forwards. Can I I'll go back to the other thing that sort of maybe these fallacies that we talk about the American system about it all being about physical. Obviously, when we look at the senior American teams that they are incredibly athletic and they can then transition that with skill and technique as well. Do you think there is a big difference between sort of English players that start here that then go to college? Is a bit of a wake up call from them from a physical perspective going over to the States? Yeah, I do feel that way actually. Um, because I think um, you look at the, you know, we, we've got five or six players uh, who are English who've actually played in the States on the London City roster and spoken a lot with them about this same topic. And I do think that they felt like, wow, it was a bit of a shock how much they're in the weight room and how much they're doing physical fitness testing. Um, but then how much they develop in that four-year span because it's just solely focused on competing, getting stronger, getting fitter, and doing it in a short amount of time. Um, so I do think that they develop physically when they go over there. And you even look at at Lottie, who's on um, Arsenal, who played at North Carolina, one of the storied programs over in the States, and she developed tremendously physically. And uh, something that they do at that program is compete every single pass. Everything that you do in training is tracked, so you know where you stand from 1 to 20 on a roster or a squad. And so it just breeds this competitive culture, I think, in the college game. Um, but, yeah, I think that that is probably not as evident than when you get past the college game. Because if you look at the the youth system in America, it's massive. And their academies and their um, national leagues that they have, it just breeds that same sort of competition that goes into the college game. But then once you leave the college game, there's only a handful of NWSL clubs, I think up getting to 10 now. And so that's the biggest difference is then when you get back to the professional space, that's where England yeah. has slowly but surely and now 
it's going to be, you know, the place to be rivaled with ultimately with the Super League and the Women's Championship and the opportunity for women to play at the next level and continue on their careers. I think it's going to be tough to beat here. Yeah, no, like you say, it's a very tight filter in America, isn't it? You've got all these colleges and all of a sudden you've only got 10 teams to go into. The the fight for places is is huge, isn't it? And yeah. I suppose, again, then for the, the English girls that are going over to the States, then coming back, then they're in a fantastic place in terms of the opportunities now because the game is growing, obviously, with the news yesterday about Sky Sports and mm-hmm. and, and the, the input from them. But that's only going to filter down to the championship and eventually the National League will grow in professionalism. So mm-hmm. would you see more and more um, female players from America coming over to the st- from the States to play in the England game, English game? I, I would because I you look at, obviously, the ones who are... Uh, you know, with United right now or um, Alex Morgan's brief stint at Tottenham, I do think that you will see more Americans um, coming over. I think because of the length of the playing season is so attractive to be able to play full time year round yeah. against the quality of competition that has now been established throughout both leagues. So I do think that there'll be an influx of players that will want to find a way to get over here. Okay, so uh, I know we sort of touched on this, but let's bring this a little bit more back to you and your coaching. What would you say is the biggest adaption that you've had to make in terms of coming from Penn to to London City in terms of, I know you've talked about bringing in the culture or anything, but on the field, is is there anything that you've you've had to sort of think, oh, I need to change the way I work because of this, or is is you stay true to yourself? Um. I think there was some pretty funny moments just finding common language at the start, <laughs> you know, just certain words that I might say, like we actually call, we call a fullback an outside back. And I remember the first couple of times I would say, like I, I've adapted to the lingo quite quickly, but I remember the first few times that I would say something, they'd look at me like, we don't comprehend <laughs> what are you going for here? So I think just learning common language and even the difference of like looking at the thirds of the field and phases and what, it's preferred to call here versus in the States. It's that's all different everywhere you go. Um, so I think that was a quick learning process for me, but then I think really it's um, because the players are able to latch on to something, like I said, so quickly, if you give them a tactical com- concept, it's like, okay, if I say that, you know, this match, we're going to attack the end line. It's like, they will then go and attack the end line because they understand truly what it means um, and getting them to um, just continue to add tools to their toolbox for decision making, I think is where um, it, it's probably a bit more rigid in the college game. You might have asked them to do one or two things or play a certain way and not have as much adaptability outside of that, whereas you can have that here. Um, so it's really challenged me to think more critically about the training sessions that I produce or how I'm challenging them to decision make and problem solve and putting those them in situations with just having guiding principles instead of a bit more structured and rigid. Mm. Now, there's something that we talk regularly with coaches about of being incredibly structured to working within the chaos mm-hmm. and allowing that decision making. What would you say then at London City sort of the what's the breakdown? How would how would you look at your week in terms of more structured, organized stuff to decision-making chaotic environments? I think um, it's probably evolved even in just the four or five months since I've taken over because I think initially 
the first few games, because I've been with the club as an assistant, obviously, before. So the kind of the first few games, it was really about setting ourselves up based off of what we were going to face in the opposition. And, and then when I had taken over, for me, it was like, OK, let's who are we? What are we trying to do? Let's create an identity and then have a little bit of flexibility within that identity. But until we got to that space of like, this is how we're attacking. This is how we're defending. We're going to get really good at it. Be really fit in our system to now starting to introduce, I think, to them, okay, we have to be able to organize amongst chaos or break down a team that um, and, and decision make better in wide areas, central areas, what the game calls for, but also be able to um, see who kind of stands out within that as well and what players can make those decisions and then what players lead other players within those decisions is kind of the phase that we're in right now, which I think will be much more heavily based in in my coaching style as well as we move forward and then I think it's just been a process to get to here because we've now we've got this set of values and identity of how we want to play but can we then adapt and be flexible game to game or moment to moment to decision make a bit better yeah so where does where does the off-field coaching sort of the analysis and sort of team meetings where how does that fit into your your psyche in terms of working with players because some clubs put a lot of emphasis on it and then other people sort of dabble with it within the championship and maybe below mm. um where does it sit with you i it's massive emphasis um because i think that's that's one of the benefits about the college game really um and it's a conversation i have with with diane because i think she wants me to be a little bit more focused at times on like just the football piece of it and in the college game you wear a few different hats. Like I would have done our kit ordering. I would have done our recruitment. I would have done our opposition analysis, um, our team analysis. And so you do wear a lot of different hats. And now I'm, I have this analysis person or our analyst in our program or in our club here that um, I'm like, wow, that's just her role. And that's actually why I had come over to England is because I, I, I love the idea of being able to specialize, but I also think I have the skill set to implement a lot of different things. So um, yeah, I think, Individual player development, individual analysis, team analysis um, is a big part of our week as well. Um, you know, we we review every match on Mondays. We celebrate the small victories. We look at um, areas that we executed from the, the game plan, but then also areas that might have fallen short or things that we'd been working on overall. And then we spend the greater part of Tuesday, Wednesday and sometimes Thursday doing individual and small group analysis um, and making sure that players really have an idea of what we're looking for, where they can improve, how it links to their individual development plan um, and really try to paint the picture for them with some film and analysis. Um, and so, yeah, I do think we, we make a big focus on that. How much do you empower the players to take responsibility for that? Because that's, that's something that, again, at the moment within the, the women's game, is being talked about that's maybe slightly different to working within the men's game, whereas we, we sort of want to empower females to take more ownership of their learning, whereas boys tend to like to just be told, I want you to do this, and they do, and then ask questions after, whereas sort of young female players may ask questions before trying something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a really good point. Um, and that is kind of a topic that we started at the beginning of the new year of a piece of our culture and owning your role and what that looks like. And I think owning your role, we really define in what you just said is, okay, what are you doing now that we've established this environment? What are you doing? Which piece of the environment 
resonates most with you that's going to get the best out of you and how are you then latching on to that and so you know even we had meetings over the last couple of weeks individually with players and they're due to come back to us with their own action plan for the next six weeks the remainder of season what our team goals are to finish the league and how they're going to adapt their weekly or daily schedule to improve the team by one percent and improve themselves by one percent um, and that's using, you know, we do behavior profiling, we do analysis, technical, tactical, physical, social, psychological, all that. But then what are they physically going to do each day that's going to add value and, and out of the areas that we want them to grow in? And they kind of created their own action plans to finish off the season. So I do think owning your role is a massive piece of team success. Yeah, I mean, you often hear of the 1% rule, don't you, in terms of those little 1% when you add them all up can can make a real difference. It sounds very much like the, the culture and the empowerment that you've got with them at the moment. If those 1% will start to add up over time. Yeah, absolutely. What, um, just just sort of thinking a little bit now of sort of advice for, for young players that are aspiring to maybe go to college in, in the States, what... What advice would you give to them in terms of way before that moment where they're leaving to go? What can they do to really ready themselves for college soccer in in, in America? I, I think because there's so many different opportunities in the States to go play, like there's over 330 Division One women's soccer programs and then there's 200 something division two programs and division three and junior college and NAI so I think it's really just to be patient in their process and make sure that they find what truly is the right fit because I think there can be some excitement or some pressure from coaches to like hey come here come now you know and it's looking at four things for me it's the football environment the academic environment um, does it fit for you financially and is it in a geographical location that you're looking for? And then you have to decide of those four, what is most important to you and your family um, and and then rank them. You know, if football is most important and academics, there's places for that. You know, the league that I worked in, the Ivy League, is of the top universities in the country with, you know, the yeah. six best conference in the country but then you look at okay do you want even higher level football but might drop academics certain places or are you just looking for that academic experience to get a degree where you can play football alongside is it scholarship based do you have money that can that can take you there um and it is it is it in a location you look at you know some of the top schools in division one women's soccer are over on the west coast but that's you know 14 hour difference from england um, and then you look at, you know, there's some good programs on the East Coast. It's only a five five hour time difference, eight hour flight. And so it just it, it changes things. And I think if you're patient and really evaluate, OK, what the fit is for you, that um, it has the opportunity to be some of the best four years of, of their yeah. uh, football experience and their life. I think that 18 to 22 year old is such an important phase of kind of figuring out who you are and where you want to be and what you want to do. And, and I, I, there's nothing quite like college soccer because you play 20 games in a three month span, which is unbelievable. Um, uh, but it's so much fun. And like I said before, it just breeds competition and breeds growth over those four years. So I think just be patient and figure out what is most important in that process. Uh I just thought they made the decision on where the best weather was. <laughs> California, that's where I'm from. 
<laughs> no, I mean, that's great advice in terms of, you know, just taking your time and really doing your research and, and probably reaching out to anyone that's got experiences that you may know um, to, to sort of help with that process rather than, as you say, jumping at the first offer where they maybe come with this idea of this all singing, all dancing offer, but actually really looking to see whether it's it's right for you. Yeah, and and it's hard because I think a lot of times they'll want to base it off of the coach. Um, and I think you really have to do research there. There's so much information available online that you can look up. But coaches, you know, even if somebody's been there 20 plus years, like it's just so variable in coaching that the stability that I think you have to look at all those other factors. And then, yes, if you find a coach that you connect with that you feel is going to get the best out of you that's going to challenge you like that's kind of just the, the icing on top mm, yeah so so what about you what what's your ambitions for the future i know you've you've only been here a short time do you see yourself staying in in england or if you have aspirations to go and coach back in america um or or do you see your longer term future here um you know, I think the the original decision for me to come over to England to coach was to um, gain a whole new perspective on the game and and really be outside my comfort zone. Um, I, I was at Penn for five years and had some opportunities to either stay at Penn and become the head coach, um, go elsewhere and become a head coach, move on to the next level. I had worked within uh, U.S. soccer's youth national teams and their mm. scouting network um, and had the opportunity there as well. But for me, I think it was uh, being in a completely unknown space um, where I'm going to learn from a lot of different people. Um, and like I said, just a new vantage point on the game. So that's why I'd come over here. And, and I'm loving it. I think there's so many differences between the professional game and the college game that I've had to learn and adapt to outside of just the tactical side of it. It's then periodization over a year versus a three month season and um, looking at keeping players healthy, the fitness, the level that I want, that's different that you can achieve in a you know, three month span. Cause you've only got them for three months versus the whole year. And then um, I think the accessibility being that it is a smaller country, but there's, you know, 25 plus teams amidst the two leagues that there's just so much quality competition right at your fingertips that that is exciting. So I do see myself staying here for the foreseeable future. You know, I think there's always the opportunity to go back to the States, but I am really loving the the professional environment and the space here and the way that the women's game is growing and, and really blossoming in this country. So, uh, you know, I'm excited about the potential to, to get onto a UEFA A course and continue developing my own knowledge base. But um, really just connecting and, and networking with other coaches in this country as well. And it seems now you've got a, you've got a great group of coaches and analysis around you. Um, have you had to learn much around your management style and, and leadership? Um, how much sort of leadership did you have at Penn and, and has it sort of had to evolve in working with other people? Yeah, definitely. It's funny because um, the, the head coach that I'd worked with mentioned been good friends and colleagues for a long time and there's things that um she used to do that might drive me crazy and assist as an assistant that I'm like oh man I, I now do that <laughs> um that I've had to I think you know you take you everywhere you go and so you get a real dose of self-awareness when you might you know experience something in a completely different environment that you're like wow okay actually it's a reflection of me and I might need to change or adapt or grow myself in this and so 
Um, I've been so fortunate to have uh, Nikita and Corey um, and even Edward, our general manager, who has a football background, um, come on board at all at the same time at the club. And I have had to um, definitely be more conscious of my leadership style because I'm in, I'm in the lead role um, for that alone. I did have a lot of autonomy over my roles as an assistant with Nicole at Penn and, and previously, obviously, as a, as a head coach. But I think um, it's just I'm just trying to be super intentional that everything that we do aligns with the vision of the club um, wanting to be promoted. I think one of Diane's main goals is to create a more professional space for women as well. And so being that we're a baby club, there are going to be growing pains and teething in that. But that ultimately, that's the vision is that everything that we're doing as a staff is pulling the club into you know more resources more opportunity for women at this level but then the standard of elite performance and professionalism is is the main goal of making sure that players have resources we're conducting ourselves in a certain way and that um i kind of leading by define it model it manage it with all of our staff and so and then the manage it's the hardest part right that's the the accountability for self and others and making sure that there's always reminders of what the expectation is and what the standard is and and that's the part that takes a toll I think on anybody in the lead because it's you constantly feel like you might be being the bad guy about things but you really just want to move people and the club in in the right direction so I think I've got a really really great team of support in place to help the club do that help myself do that yeah, and, and as you say, a really supportive owner and someone that really wants to drive the club forward is is paramount to your plans and, and as you say, then you supporting your coaches and, and support team to, to give the best to the players that are on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a couple of really sort of quick questions then. If you had to if you had to name three things then that you really um, require from people that work for you or with you, what would it be? Well, I... I... I think I've got two like non-negotiables, which are going to be, and and I've dabbled with a couple other, the third, but I think work ethic and attitude are by far for me, like you have to have a certain standard of those. Um, But for me, the work ethic piece really is to be driven. And we talked about that. And I think that's something that I've got from Nicole always looking at your processes and not changing your processes for the sake of changing it, but always refining them and, making them just a slight tweak that makes something better for the environment and always asking yourself, where can I do more, be a little bit better? And I think, yeah, the work ethic side for me relates to just being driven to, um, to create and do a bit more. And then the attitude side of it, I think for me is just, the game the game is so much more fun when you've got positive like positive energy oozing out of your group um and and that for me like when people are enjoying the environment you're going to get the best out of them and you're going to get more out of them and so I do think you have to have a bit of fun with it but I think that you have to look at that's where the growth mindset and the culture piece of it comes into play looking at setbacks as speed bumps instead and that you know we've got this rock and we just I joke with the girls all the time that you just keep pounding the rock and sometimes it might be a different set of tools. Um, but eventually you're going to get your sculpture, but it's not easy every day in that journey. So I do think that's where the drive comes into play, but then the attitude. And then, um, I think, uh, the third for me is, is really professionalism is how you conduct yourself, how you manage yourself, how you make the most out of limited resources, 
um, what ownership that you take over your game and your position and your role within the club to, I think there's the, your role and then there's your job title or responsibility. And I think um, you look at it and you can have a technical role or a non-technical role and your technical role is what's required of you as a footballer or a coach or a physio. And then your non-technical is who you are as a person and where you add value to the club and the team as a person. Um, and so I think that's kind of probably the third piece that I just bubbled into about five things on it. <laughs> no, I think it's great. I mean, we, we talk a lot of times about the word caring and, and we mean that by not just that putting your arm around a, a player, but but actually probably everything you've just described about that that whole person and being that that coach and person that really wants the best for that player and puts them at the centre of everything. And it, it sounds very much that's the culture that you're trying to drive forward and, and getting your coaches and players to buy into. Yeah, I like that. I'm going to steal that. That's going to be my third one, caring, because that <laughs> resonates with me massively. That's a great way to describe it. Um, just to finish off then, I mean... Obviously, you come you come to England. You get to watch a lot of football. Did you did you support an English team before you came? Or, I did, yeah, yeah. actually. Um, I, I support Spurs, um, oh. but I, I'm an equal opportunity football fan. I love watching everyone. Really, my my family actually loves Manchester United, Man U, and um, so my mom and dad support them and. Um, my partner's family is uh, Man U fans as well, so that runs pretty deep over here. But um, yeah, no, I, I've just enjoyed like Soccer Saturday might be the best thing that's ever happened because you had to get up at, you know, between five in the morning or earlier to, to be able to watch games um, streamed. And now you just get it all day here, which has been a ton of fun. Um, yeah, some so people I, say this too much on telly, but I don't think you can ever have enough football on television, can you? Well, sometimes I, I actually do joke because my partner could watch any level, any league, lower league. Like he's a Cambridge United fan. He, you know, he like loves watching lower league. And sometimes I get home and I'm like, I'm footballed out, you know, <laughs> at the end of a long week. But uh, yeah, it's definitely always on. And last question. How did you get an allegiance towards Spurs from all the way from California? So funny story, but my first job when I was 15 16 years old was at a soccer shop so like where you go in to buy boots and shin pads and you know kit at a young age and um and the gal that I worked with there she was English and she was a Spurs fan and I think okay. at that point I couldn't even like pronounce Tottenham Hotspur I was like how do you say it again <laughs> um but she had got me into it and we'd watch games and always followed it and so it kind of just stuck with me from then on Brilliant. And and that's how often how it does, doesn't it? It's sort yeah. of just a, a chance of, of opportunity like that. Yeah. Um, Mel, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. And um, I know you've got some some important games coming up against Charlton in a few weeks next week. Um, best of luck. And um, hopefully we can catch up again soon. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate it. Enjoyed chatting with you as well.